my life is now rubble. I can cry over the rubble or I could start to pick up pieces and make a new mosaic. What I realized to build that mosaic, I had to confront a bunch of different things, which now I've created into the acronym of grief. Welcome to The Work In Between, the podcast that explores the topics and daily habits and actions that get us to our health-related goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight, improve your mental or emotional health, or working on your spiritual journey, you're in the right place. In 2021, I was diagnosed with diabetes and was morbidly obese. I was already a three-time cancer survivor, so I knew I had to do something to turn my life around. So I did. I lost over 100 pounds and began transforming my life inside and out. I'm living a much more purposeful and intentional life, and I want you to do that too. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Gretchen Holmes, and this is The Work in Between. When I was creating my podcast, I knew I wanted to focus on more than just physical health or weight loss. I wanted to explore all aspects of health, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical, because it's all connected. Today's subject, grief, is very much a part of all of our lives. When I started this podcast, I was still having a lot of trouble working through my grief having lost my brother, Eric, which meant now my mom, my dad, and both of my brothers were now gone. However, since then, I've realized that I have choices and the power to decide how I wanted to move forward. I found out I could rewrite my story. All of us have experienced grief in some capacity, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a dear friend, or losing a job or a friendship. We've been there, or you may be there right now. Wherever you are in your process, it's yours. Despite all of the pressure to move on or get past it, grief is something that is a very personal journey, and it takes the time it takes to adjust, to learn how to move forward, to find our way in order to find out what is on the other side of our grief. We all know the pain, the loss, and the sorrow, but what else might be there? What if we can use it as a catalyst for change, for reevaluating and reimagining our lives to create a more intention-filled life? That's what we're talking about on today's show. My guest is Robert Party. A life coach and author, Rob is one of those rare individuals who embraces change and lives by a philosophy he calls possibility in action. After experiencing the devastating loss of his young wife to metastatic breast cancer, Robert reimagined his life and left the world of finance to share the many lessons he learned throughout his life's journey. Those lessons included intentionally crafting the next chapter of his life by dismantling limiting beliefs, interrupting habitual thinking, understanding the story he wanted to look back on, and realizing that taking chances is where all our power lies. And you can read more about Robert and his work at www.robertparty.com. Welcome to the show, Robert. Gretchen, I am absolutely so thrilled to be here. You already captured me with your work that I already know, but the whole call out about you had a choice from the very beginning is that's it right there. Having the awareness that we do. 
sometimes it seems really hard to make that choice, but it's there. So I am thrilled to be part of your show. Thank you. I started this whole physical transformation, and I don't think you can really truly transform unless you are focusing on all aspects, the inside, the outside, whatever pieces we have to look at. And one of the things that struck me as a three-time cancer survivor, having lost my entire nuclear family, getting through diabetes, losing all the weight, was, all right, I got to do something with this. I can't have survived all of this and then just carry on like I always have. There had to be a reason that all of those things happened and I am still here. And it started to catapult me into a lot of what you talk about, which is living a much more intentional life and rewriting the life that you want. So I started to figure out how to recapture that power. And part of that is because of you. That's why partly I'm so excited to talk about it. Let's get started. You lost your wife at a young age to cancer, which you document in, a, in I must say, a beautifully written book, Chasing Life. I highly recommend this book. I read it in two days. Oh, I have goosebumps just because that means a lot to me. Cancer changes everyone's life, including our loved ones. I'm curious, how did it change yours? Wow, that is a question we could spend hours and hours talking about. But when I look at the journey with Desiree, what I say is really it's a story of one person evolving, which was my wife. And it was my awakening. What I mean by awakening is I lived a life, and I'm going to go way back here. So I grew up with an abusive alcoholic dad. For me, at that time, action came from anger and propelled me forward. I pursued investment banking because as the child, in my mind, the only thing that would ever save me was to have a lot of money. Meeting Desiree, one, just because she was such a spectacular young woman when I met her, but she evolved into this just incredible person. Being with her, I learned about the power of love, of course, but I also realized what purpose really meant. This is my own personal definition. It's not to say that when people talk about purpose, they have to use this definition. But for me, it changed me to realize that purpose was when my passions came in alignment with my values, but I wanted to give the results away. I wasn't looking for a gold star. I wasn't looking for a pat on the back. And giving that away, that was actually supporting my wife to achieve all her dreams, knowing that she was slowly approaching the end of her life. And as you know, through the book, Desiree chose at the beginning not to know anything about her disease because she was studying to become a doctor. And she was afraid that she knew enough of information to scare herself, basically. So I carried all of that. And people would ask me, they're like, well, wasn't that like painful and heavy? And I was like, no, it was purposeful. I understood the purpose. And that doesn't mean you go out there and be a martyr. That is not purpose. Purpose is this feeling of what you're doing is amplifying you and you're projecting that out. I talk a lot about energy units when I work with my clients and stuff like that. And so when I mean amplify, let's say you have 100 units a day that you get to use. If you're spending those units in things that don't, let's say, repay you, amplify you, they just disappear. But if you put one unit in and you get 1.5 back, you're amplified. That's flow. 
it completely changed my perspective of everything. It also allowed me to understand really what being in a partnership for a relationship meant. That was something I didn't see, of course, with my parents. It was something that Desiree and I, we realized that we built a third entity, which was the relationship. It required both of us to continue to invest in that relationship. So that's what supported both of us through all the ups and downs. Because what we learned and the perspective shift was we're all going to face some sort of adversity in our life. It's just part of the journey we're on. And you've survived cancer three times. You were diagnosed with diabetes. Adversity can be one of two things. Adversity could be the dominant color on the canvas of our life, or as Desiree and I decided, it was going to be an accent color to highlight joy and to highlight creativity and growth and, and everything else that you could think of, love. It's that perspective shift that then carried me to where I am today. I love how you and Desiree did something that I think a lot of us have trouble doing in the midst of being diagnosed or navigating a terminal disease, even though at first you may not know that's what it is, but the fact that you guys were able to be so present instead of spending the entire time wringing your hands going, what if, oh my gosh, we're, this is the worst thing ever. And it, it's a horrible thing that don't get me wrong, but then you miss out on all the moments that you still have. That's one thing I took from your book was that you guys were so intentional yes. about living your lives and capturing joy and capturing love and experiencing still, even with this going on, just the wonderment of what it means to be alive. And you guys captured that with such childlike spirit and eyes. It just made my heart feel good. When we get bad news, when we find out, and I was stage four at one point with thyroid cancer, you have choices. Either you can sit in your room and just turn off the lights, or you can still engage, still create memories. That is so pervasive throughout your story. And I just love that. You used the exact word, and it's where I learn to live, and I refuse to let anything take me out of it, is in wonderment. Regardless of what's going on, and this is very hard to hear when someone's in the midst of something, this is all wondrous around us. We have to sort of, if you think of a car and the windshield wipers, right? We have to clean the windshield and start to see that again. The idea of being present and it being a choice, one of the things that I realized very early on, because I was sort of the bearer of information was, and it is a stoic philosophy, so it's not something I created. It was what was under my control. I couldn't control that final outcome. And th the scary thing is, and this is a phrase that when I say it, it's shocking to people, but I like to say it because it's shocking. We all have a terminal disease yeah. because there's a yeah. final terminal that yep. this train stops at. And Sometimes we just, it's only until we get the paper from the doctor that, that we wake up. But what I realized is there were so many things out of my control. I would have loved to cure the cancer. I had dreams of being Superman and I would keep hitting my stomach on the asphalt because I couldn't fly. I had all these crazy dreams. But what I realized is, you know what, that idea of hope 
It's hope that today is the best day you can make it, not of some future outcome. And that's what changed everything for Desiree and I. Once we started to live in that daily, what could we do today? You know, the little fun napkins we would use at dinner that we call the happy napkins and, and all kinds of other things, just because why not? And we lose that as well as, as just as adults, right? We forget about play and we forget about that, that childlike curiosity and enthusiasm. And we did decide, okay, you know what? Whatever this journey is going to be, we decide how we live it. Absolutely. I like how you captured and just stayed in those moments. And so many times we are so busy living life. We are so much on autopilot that we just have the next thing that we have to do, the next thing, the next thing. And we forget to breathe. We forget to enjoy that cup of cappuccino. We forget to, <laughs> you know, I watch your shorts on LinkedIn. I see it on YouTube. I see them. But it's so true. I mean, I think we do tend to stop and watch things like rainbows because they're so magnificent and sunrises and sunsets. But there are a million moments in between those sunrises and those sunsets. And how many of us at the end of the day even remember what we did, where we were, what we say, yeah. what we do? I don't know. I just spent 10 hours at work. What it? I don't know. And so that's one of those things that even that small step, which is really a big step, but it's a small thing, I think can completely change the trajectory of our lives. That is what I, I go around talking about, right? Is the intentionality, is the being present, is not missing all those moments. There's something like, oh, it depends on how a moment is measured, but a moment is basically when your brain experiences it to make a recording. It's something like we experience 60,000 moments a day, but a lot of the moments we're not paying attention to. A lot of the talk in our head is the same thing we've been talking about day after day after day. I can't stand my job or I don't know how to pay the bills or this or that or the traffic. You know, like you said about the sunset, this is something I remember I was at a friend's house. We were sitting in the living room and I saw sort of like the color through the reflection on the other window in his living. And I went outside and the sunset was just incredible. And I said, hey, guys, come out and look at this. It's beautiful. But they wanted to stay and watch some program that they've seen a hundred times. And I was just thinking to myself, a lot of the times we're so drained at the end of the day that just to sit there and do nothing as well is our default we have to work. That's why you said it's a small step, but it's a big step. All of this is really where a big cruise ship, <laughs> for lack of a better word, and we can't just make a big, big turn, right? We have to slowly turn the boat. And that requires every day doing something a little differently and getting into that habit of seeing the, the beauty and the wonder. And yes, sometimes, you know what, it's, it's not like I walk around and I'm, you know, all smiles all the time. There, there are things that get to me as well, right? There are things that get to all of us. It's not to make that the default and to catch yourself in that and say, wait a minute, this is not where I want to spend my time and energy. Like I'm being negative for absolutely no reason. Like when somebody wants to go on a picnic and it rains, right? Yeah. And then the whole day is ruined. Right. Well, it's not ruined right. if we decide that, okay, we'll make something else out of it. No, I agree. I am curious because grief is such a, a personal journey. Given how you guys approach the illness and, and just living in the moment, how did grief manifest for you after Desiree died? 
That's a beautiful question. No one's ever asked it quite like that. I love it. And grief is very personal. But what I first want to tie grief to is the idea of loss. Uh, and you said so eloquently earlier, you know, the, the loss of a loved one, a family member, a friend. I'd even take it to, if you think about men, erectile dysfunction. If you think of someone that's been in an accident has lost a leg. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Loss is the impact on identity. I'm going to start from there. But with Desiree, you know, she became the founding director of palliative care at New York Hospital. So I knew a lot about end of life. I learned a lot about medicine, but I remember her telling me at one point in time, there's a difference between extending life and extending death. When her time came, she made the conscious choice by asking me or saying to me, she said, Robert, I'm tired. And I said, okay, baby, rest. And she was telling me to transition care to comfort from life sustain. In a way, because I was part of so much of it, I didn't have the grief reaction of anger and those types of things, but I was lost. I didn't know what my identity was. I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know what my mission was, why I was in the world. And I realized that if I'm an acronym person, so if you take loss, what I realized is it's the lack of self identity. And the other S is security. The world feels unsafe because there's just been this big tectonic shift. And so for me, grief manifested and this comes from also the way I grew up, right? Because of my childhood being a boot camp that taught me so much about uncertainty and resilience and grit and all the other things, and the whole action philosophy I've had for my whole life, which was once built on anger, then was love. I looked at it and I said, okay, so my life is now rubble. I can cry over the rubble or I could start to pick up pieces and make a new mosaic. I love and that. I oh, thanks. I do. I, I like that. That's beautiful. And it's visually what I saw. Like Desiree is a big, beautiful piece of that mosaic. It's, it's not that I've forgotten about her. I haven't moved on at all. I've moved forward with. I've, I'm living life forward. But she's so much of a part of me and will always be. What I realized to build that mosaic, I had to confront a bunch of different things, which now I've created into the acronym of grief. So I had to confront guilt, whether it was survivor's guilt. Whether it was, oh, you know what, maybe I should have just been more forceful for her to not eat sugar, for example. Whatever the case was, because I was the one sitting there, like, you know, spending my time on the internet saying, well, maybe there's a cure somewhere, right? Like I should have went to see some shaman. There was the, the rumination aspect. So the R for grief is, is rumination, the constant, I can't believe this happened. I, the, the constant, you know, spinning around, I had to let that go. I had to accept and embrace impermanence. And wow, I have to tell you, when I really sat in that space of this too shall pass means every single thing. We use it for those bad things in life, but it's just part of nature. The next thing was I had to dismantle my expectations. That's the E, because I expected my life to be a certain way and I couldn't carry that anymore. I couldn't try to force things into a space. And I've seen this sometimes with clients as well. They're trying after a loss to find things that can fit back in to support an expectation, which has no validity in this stage of their life, because who they were when they made that expectation is not the same person they are after the loss. And then the last one was I had to confront the fear. I have to say that I tend to be motivated by fear. I look at the situation and I say, okay, am I more excited to do this or am I more afraid to do this? And that's how I gauge. And I asked myself, 
instead of wondering about, you know, what could go wrong? What if I failed or what ifs? I started playing in the, what I use is the word daydreaming because daydreaming is non-threatening. We do it as kids. That's how we start to put things together. So I just started thinking about who was it I lost? I lost Desiree. I also lost myself. What do I miss about the guy that was with Desiree? What I realized was I wound up becoming her life coach. And I was like, oh, so I'm going to change careers. Okay, what else would Robert want in this next stage of his life if he could do anything? I'd like to live in Italy. Okay, but I don't know anyone. I don't have a job. I don't speak the language. I don't have a place to live. That's okay. I'll figure it out. And this is where all the work comes from. Because for anyone listening to this, to really make changes, and you did this, you did this with the weight loss. You started imagining who that person would be. You started having faith in yourself to say, you know, I can do this. And the thing is, we think we need to be so perfect with everything we lay out. But our entire life has always been course correcting. We just forget it. We're where we are and we think, oh, I just got here in a straight line. And oh, no way did we any of us get here in a straight line. All of this is like a type of alchemy because what happens is when you start to be rewarded by taking the chance, then actually the outcome, you're empowered and you are aware of many more possibilities. I evaluated, just so anyone listening here, first of all, an 11-year journey with breast cancer is not cheap. There was no money left. My wife did not have life insurance because we were too young to think about that when she was diagnosed. I moved to Italy and I was teaching English for $8 an hour. I didn't sit there regretting or resenting that because I was making an investment in my new life. That's where the empowerment comes from. I wasn't thinking I'm a Columbia MBA. I should be making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was thinking about, wow, I'm taking this chance to build a completely new life and I'm going to learn Italian. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I have to make the investments, not sacrifices. The grief journey for me led me through this process of basically Again, that idea of of a mosaic is what do I want my life to look like? I didn't choose to be here. You know, if if somebody said, if I gave you a magic wand and, and Desiree showed up tomorrow and we, of, I love her. Of course, that's what I wanted. That's out of my control. That's that whole stoic thing. But there's all this rubble here. And so I started to put all the pieces together, which led me to the books and led me to being a life coach. And It feels so fulfilling and so purposeful because I used life instead of being used by life. And I know every time I'm doing the work I'm doing is because I chose that path. You've taken back all the power. I think many of us let life happen to us and we are just constantly putting out fires. We're just going with wherever things take us because it's easier. It just is easier, right? And we can then not have to take responsibility for kind of where we are because that's just where life took us as where it took me. I, you know, I didn't have any say. And, you know, that's, as we all know, that's not true. We have, we always have those choices. And I love how when we reframe how we are living our lives, we now feel empowered. We feel like we are an active participant in our own life versus a passive participant. You just hit it, the nail right on the head, is the active participant. And a lot of people, they'll worry about things. Worry is actually very passive because it's, there's no action behind it, right? You're just worrying, you're worrying. We do have a tendency to play more of, of the passive role. 
for whatever reason, and th there are, you know, we're, we're having this deep conversation of two people that have transitioned through a lot of things. So some people listening to this might be like, but I don't understand, or I don't get it, or this is not applicable to me. Part of this whole, let's say, journey, and I'm unpacking all of this, is the fact that it does come down to the choices. And sometimes the choices we need to make to change our lives may actually alienate us from some of the people that are around us because they're used to us being a certain way. I lost friends because I did not conform to the story they needed me to be, to whether it was, you know, I was supposed to be broken and they were going to take care of me, or, you know, I would just go back into finance and I decided to do something else. So there are all these different levels, but the end of the game here is the fact that it is yours to craft. And again, that doesn't mean everything is, is rainbows and unicorns. Of course not. But being out there and being the sculptor, being the craftsperson, just building what you want is so, so empowering. For you to have lost that weight, you've taken on the identity of being a thin person, being a healthy person. That was something you had to construct. No, it would be nice if we had a light switch and we could just flip it and say it's all. And there are people that do that. There are people that one day to the next, they stop smoking, stop drinking, whatever the case is. Yeah. But it is all habitual. Everything we live, everybody listening right now, where you are right now has been practiced. I have come to realize as I started this whole transformation and deciding to live a more intentional life that now that I've become more open to the possibilities, to all sorts of things that I never thought about before, because I too came from an alcoholic home, I have realized that as I started coming through my grief, as I started coming more into the sunshine and to waking back up a little bit, that I have become more receptive to people and energy and angels and whatever you want to call it. You wrote something. I read that and it completely reframed everything because it took me out of the focus on the loss and the sadness and the helplessness and the guilt and everything. And it said, hey, wait a minute. How can I take all of this negative hard, terrible stuff and turn it into the most amazing story? And I kid you not, Rob, that I did a 180 just from that sentence and how I approached moving forward. So thank you for that. You know, sometimes when you write those things, you, you don't know where it lands for people, right? So thank you for sharing that with me. And you used a key word when loss, grief, suffering, all those things, there is a hopeless feeling when you're in that. That question was actually the question I asked myself. I was in Dubai, I went back because I needed to make money and pay off my debt, and I was asked to sort of play the game. My business partner was a great friend, he's like a brother to me. He was like, you know, we really need to get you a Rolex because you know you really need to fit in and I'm wearing this ro this Rolex and I'm like that's a bad tattoo and I was just looking at everything and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. This is not a life I want to live. I could live this life, sure, I'm making good money, and I could just coast. I could do that automatic thinking. Or I can look at that whole mosaic. That's that story, right? I'm piecing that together. At the end, here's the thing that's I want everyone just to embrace because it's so freeing. That story is never going to be finished. We should die in the middle of that story because we should be crafting every single day up until we're not here anymore. 
It's not this story of I'm going to get to that point and everyone can see it's no, I'm going to keep writing another chapter and we might be halfway through the next chapter. And unfortunately something happens, but I asked myself that question. I was sitting there in Dubai and I was like, well, what would be the most amazing story to come from this? Because I want to attempt to make it happen. And the reason I use attempt, it's, it's sort of foolish, but I do think that try has become equated to all the excuses as to why something won't work out. Agreed. I'll try, but we've yeah. already said in our head, yeah, that's most likely not going to happen. Yep. So I started using a different word for myself. I'm going to attempt. It felt more engaging, but that question, thank you so much for that. that. That's sort of the work I do with my clients. Like At the end of the day, if you could say what's the most amazing story to come from that, and you start to reverse engineer that, and you start living that story today, even if it's 1%, you're already building something new. What I like is how it helps us shift. And not everybody who is grieving wherever they are in, in the process could look at that and go, oh, well, that makes perfect sense to me. Well, yes, I shall, I shall just stop feeling sad today. No, that's not what this is about. But what it does do is help reframe. And yeah. it does help us. In my mind, I was thinking not only what is the best story to come from this, but how might that honor my mom and my dad and my brothers? Because they would want me to live my absolute most amazing life. They would be furious with me if I stayed in the land of just grief and sadness for the rest of my life. They would be furious. And so I think that has multiple meanings for me in that I really think that not only because sometimes I think when we feel like we're trying to move on, it is forgetting them or it is disrespecting them or it is somehow a negative thing like, oh, well, you're gone. I'll just carry on with this great life. And that's not it. I, I really think doing that is the best way to honor them too and yourself, right? Yes. And I'm going to have to jump in on that. And you highlighted one of those pieces of grief. You know, when I talked about guilt is the fact that this idea of moving on, which is always why I say moving with. Gretchen today is who Gretchen is because etched inside Gretchen is the love and loss of your family. It is. A, I say all the time, Desiree is a beautiful scar on my heart. Yes. She is a beautiful scar. Now, me moving forward doesn't mean I'm forgetting her. It doesn't mean that I'm in any way insulting the memory. We have this idea of, of grief in terms of Everyone tells you to move on, plow through. And then when you do, it's sort of like, oh, but you know, it's not right because this person is dead. We can look at it this way. And here we're talking about the loss of, of people we love. Think of love as a beautiful, bright light. Sadness is a gray, darkish, cloudy light. If we stay in the grief, no one's going to see all the power that love gave us. And so as we move forward and we build a life that is beautiful, it's built on the love that was given to us. And we're projecting that out into the world. I don't think we talk about grief enough in positive ways. I think there are gifts that come from grief. And one of those for me has been this podcast. It's been an opportunity for me to regroup and reframe and rewrite my story. You would have thought I would have done that after the first time I had cancer or possibly the second time I had cancer and was stage four or maybe the third time. I don't know, but it didn't. But it is all in the time that it is supposed to be. And I'm grateful 
every day for the opportunity to get up and think about ways of, of how to make my life better, how to make other people's lives better, how to help others to achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve. But mainly for me, it's really about healing and empowerment and providing people with tools. We talk a lot about inside work. We talk about all the work that you talk about and possibility and action, which I'd like to talk about because that's such a powerful process. And one of the main reasons I did start this podcast is because we talk in very ambiguous ways about, well, I did all the inside work and we're like, I don't even know what that means. I'll do some inside work too, but I don't, how do I start? talking about possibility in action and I'm halfway through I haven't started the journal part yet how did that I know it came about from everything you've experienced but at what point did you decide I got something here I need to put this together and share it with everybody I just want to circle back um, for a second because when you were talking about the inside work the outside work everything seems so big we've used the word purpose as well it's not as big as everyone has made it out to be your purpose can be cooking a wonderful meal for your family, or it could be a Greta Thunberg and saving the environment. It could be anything in between. It's what's fulfilling you, what you want. Like it's part of the signature you're leaving on the world. So after a lot of possibility in action, I have to say, was actually used with Des not knowing it, you know, that mm -hmm. through that whole journey. But when I moved to Italy and I started putting all the pieces together, that's when I realized, wait a minute, I am actually following a process here. And you know what? It feels really, really good. And I don't know if my goal is going to be reached. I don't know if the dream is going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to be a 50-year-old guy living with my mother. But I was like, it's, wow, it's the power in trying to bring the possibilities I see into my reality by taking conscious action. Hmm. Okay, now possibility in action, the tagline, whatever it is, that's actually something I've been writing in my journal for a very long time. Because I remember one time, and I actually do want to say it was Oprah, but I'm not sure that she talked about how we are all possibility or something like that. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the line, I heard some sort of quote. And that's where I was like, okay, we're all possibility. I'm possibility and I'm in action building a life. So that's sort of where that came from. But the definition came from the experience of trying to build that mosaic. That's the thing, you know, people listening to this, I'm going to bring this back to ancient philosophers because possibility in action is my philosophy. Now, the ancient philosophers did not say, go out and read a thousand self-help books or personal <laughs> growth books or whatever it is and study life. They said, find something that resonates with you and put it into action. My idea of a mosaic and so forth is at the end of the day, to accept that identity of you are building the narrative of your life. You are actually in control of your self-narrative. It takes a long time to get there. One of the people I love following is a gentleman by the name of Kyle Maynard. For those that don't know him, he was basically born without his lower limbs from his knees, pretty much, and his arms from his elbows. And so there's no forearm, there's no lower leg. He climbed on his four legs and arms, let's say, up to the top of the summit of Kilimanjaro. He has won contests for wrestling because his self-narrative was not that he was damaged. His self-narrative was not that he was handicapped. Self-narrative was, I was born with this tool and I have to learn how to use it. 
Well, that gets us to something that we all struggle with. I am sure that when you work with your clients, that this is something that you address because it gets in our way all the time. And that is self-limiting beliefs. Nobody is stopping us from doing whatever it is we want to do, except us. First of all, usually what comes up at this point is money. It's all mindset. It's not money. As hard as it sounds, if you're somebody that is in a situation where, you know, money yeah. is difficult to come by, but it is mindset. Now, the limiting belief, we assimilated the beliefs we have about life from our childhood and then finding evidence to make those beliefs real. Here's the thing, affirmations. People will say, yeah, and you know what? And I'm trying to change my, my limiting belief. And I say every morning, I am powerful. I am abundant. Oh, that's going to get you nowhere. Because you got that little voice in the back of your head saying, yeah, you know what, sweetie? You think so, but I have evidence to the contrary because you've given it to me all these years. You want to really use an affirmation? I am abundant. Then write in a journal how you are abundant. Give yourself evidence. You want to change a limiting belief? Give yourself evidence to the contrary. So that is limiting beliefs really are fake new. It's just something we learned, we assimilated, we found evidence to support, and we then say, okay, this is the reality. And because we can only process so many things, you know, our brain needs habits and automatic programming and everything else. So we would have to figure out how to tie our shoe every day, which would be really annoying, right? Yeah. So once we found enough evidence, that goes into the, the back programming and we just run with that program. The discomfort is finding the evidence and actually sticking to that. Now, a lot of people will go out and they'll say, okay, I'm just going to start today. And they they throw themselves into it. And then after a week, they're exhausted because they've just been trying to find evidence and evidence and evidence and nothing is changing. You're in your 50s, let's say, and you're trying to change some habitual patterns. Well, you know what? Those are pretty deeply ingrained. So it will take time. So your reward then is not the change in the pattern, the belief. It's the reward in I am working to change it. You're giving yourself, let's say, the dopamine hit of being the person that is, let's say, in the arena. I forget who it was, but, you know, because it's associated with Brene Brown now because yeah, <laughs> she uses yeah. the man in the arena speech. But that's where it comes from. Step into that arena. Now, here's the other thing I'll tell everybody, and you read a little bit in Possibility in Action probably, is we tend to armor up and we yeah. armor up for life, you know, because we don't want the, the bad things to hurt us and so forth. What happens to our identity over time is our identity is attributed to the armor. Our strength is attributed to the armor. So therefore, we don't know our own strength. You got to strip down. You got to get naked. You got to go in the arena and you got to feel life. That helps you break apart all those limiting beliefs. I do want to circle back just for a second. So you lost the weight after the third cancer diagnosis, right? Yeah. Before when you were saying, you think I would have the first time I got cancer, or maybe the second time I went to stage four, or maybe the third time, what happened was each of those were starting to shake up your habitual thinking. That's how you lost the weight, right? Because the limiting beliefs of, you know, I can't lose the weight or wh whatever the worth issues or whatever could have been involved in that. You finally had this push to say, wait a minute, no, this way I'm thinking is not working for me. For people that don't have the big event, it's small, little, daily steps. Well, and it's even with big events, 
because the third time I had cancer, I was fine. But my oncologist sat down and said with to me, we need to talk about what it means to be a cancer survivor. And she says, while I know you have been a cancer survivor, you are a cancer survivor, we need to talk about what that's going to look like for you. And at the time, it didn't really resonate with me. But six months later, when I was diagnosed with diabetes, then it started to make sense. But I also had been watching my younger brother struggle with diabetes. His health was declining. He was already on dialysis. He had already lost a leg. We knew that his health was declining and that it was not necessarily going to be very long. And that's tough when it's your baby brother. But all of those things got me to the point where I went, okay, I know what I have to do. But what changed for me was mindset. Because in the past, when I would try to do that, I was angry. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was feeling punished. And this time, I was just grateful that I had the time to make the changes I needed to make. I had the time, the resources, all of it, because my brother did not. He was out of time. This time around, it was nothing but pure gratitude. And I did the small baby steps, but I did them consistently every day. And I didn't stop. And I think the self-limiting beliefs is also built-in excuses for why we are going to fail. I agree with that 100%. Uh, that's one of my things I always say, 100%. The thing with your brother as well, and the gratitude and all of those other things, you know, you said something really important for people to hear. And let's say if it's just indicting, right? You feel like you're being punished. You can't have the things you want. And why did this happen to me? It's that whole idea of obligation or opportunity. I can't eat this donut because, you know, I have diabetes and it's so not right. Or it's, I don't eat that donut because I'm pursuing a healthy lifestyle. And so again, it's the mindset and, and all of that other stuff. But yes, the, the built-in excuses, it's all part of the mechanism as well is our ego, which is what has constructed sort of the story we have been living, doesn't like change. The way we live also gives us an idea of some sort of weird sense of control. So when all of these things happen, and what you said, you used the perfect word, consistency, is you are moving into the reality of being a different person, not a different person as in terms of, but it's a different mindset. You are moving into it slowly. And I remember reading one book a long time ago that talked about the slow, consistent changes do not feel threatening. And no. so that's why it happens so smoothly, but it takes a very long time. The woman that wrote the book, I think the book is called Integrity, but there's ideas she uses about on the big cruise ships, it's not the rudder that changes the trajectory of the ship. It's these small little tiny triangles on the rudder. They slowly mm -hmm. move and moves the big rudder. And so it talks about the whole idea of things have to be slow, consistent to course correct or to change direction or whatever the case is. Anyone that is listening here, it's not an uphill battle. It's just reconstructing, reimagining, rewiring, whatever word you want to use. But again, we go back to that. Everything in your life has been practiced day after day after day after day for how 
as long as you're alive, right? Sure. So sure. all of that has been these small, consistent actions. So it's not something that can change overnight. But stepping into, as you used at the very beginning, which is perfect, stepping into the power of, oh, no, this is not going to happen to me. It's going to happen for me. I'm going to make this work for me. I'm going to design this for me. Once we sit there, which could at the beginning feel like the imposter syndrome, because we've never been in that position of feeling like we're in power and it would be like, oh no, these things really don't work. You know, it works for certain people, but this is a little Jedi mind tricky <laughs> trickery or whatever the case is, right? Yeah. But again, everything new that's outside of our comfort zone, new behaviors, new patterns, new ways of thinking. It's all very uncomfortable and our brains will find excuses to not do it because it seems scary. I agree. And one of the things that I've learned, I've been in therapy for a while originally to deal with the grief, but what I'm learning is that there was a whole lot of stuff I needed to deal with for sure. And I've always said, if you deal with your relationship with food, the scale will follow. And that is for me, 100% true. So I was never really that focused on it and it all it worked out well for me, but the, one of the things that is very new for me now, but has such huge payoffs, is when I'm in a situation that makes me uncomfortable, that makes me anxious, that makes me angry, that makes me scared, whatever. I have been told the best way to get into that and handle it is to lean into it. And so my new mantra, not that I've ever run from anything, not really, but I've avoided my share of stuff. I have been in denial for all sorts of things, no question about it. And in fact, I've always said uh, denial got me into this. I think we might want to try a different tactic. So now I'm learning to lean into whatever is going on, to step into the arena and keep building confidence and those life skills so that I know I can handle this. Because one of our challenges is we don't know that we can do it because we haven't allowed ourselves to be tested that's where I am right now is very much into leaning into whatever is causing me distress. That's beautiful because, you know, another word for if, if people want, they're like, oh, what does it mean to lean into? And maybe this word won't work either is we can either avoid, resist, push, you know, we're trying to push things away or we can sit and we can confront and we can challenge and we can work through what you said. If you think about that, the only way you're going to be confident riding a bicycle is to get on the bicycle and pedal and fall and get back up and ride again. The only yep. time way you're going to be confident public speaking is to get up on a stage and find your style. You can read about it all you want. You can watch a million videos up until you get there. You're not going to be confident. And so all of this, like you said, is, and we talked about this a little earlier, is getting to that self-trust to say, yeah, you, anyone wants to sort of deconstruct self-trust. It's not having the trust that you're going to get the target 100% of the time, but it's the trust that you have the resources to learn and then pick up the next arrow and learn to get closer and closer to the target. So it is having the trust that you are a learning being and that you can learn how to deal with a lot of these skills we haven't had to use. But, you know, we're all still here. So, you know, we're pretty resilient. We've all been through whatever the things are, some small things, some big things. We have found the resources to manage through things. 
there's your trust. Yeah. But we tend not to value that because we didn't maybe do it exactly 100% right the moment it happened. It took us a little while. Of course, it took us a little while because everything is learning. Yeah, my mom always used to say, look, if you don't make the right decision the first time, you'll have an opportunity to make it again. If you didn't do it right the first time, you'll have an opportunity to do it again. And she was so right. So thank you, mom. I that I have used that many, many times. One of the things I always ask my guests is what are two or three things that we can start today to help us reach our goals? I'd start off with daydreaming. What would it be like to live whatever your dream, whatever it would be? What would it be like to, you know, work in that whatever or to have that type of relationship? That's number one. Number two is to sit down and actually look at the environment you're in. And is the environment supporting where you want to go? So, so important. Now, it, it doesn't mean you get up and you leave everything, but you know what? If you're an alcoholic and you want to go to AA and you want to deal with that situation, and then you're hanging out with your friends at a bar every night, the environment is not supporting where you want to go. It is under your power to say, you know what, let's go meet at a coffee shop. So check the environment. So that's number two. Number three is, I'm going to give a little twist on this, this whole idea of gratitude. And I think gratitude is very, very important, but it's become a task of what are the three things I'm grateful for? One, two, three. Okay. Yeah. I've done my, grat my, my yeah. gratitude work. Yeah. No, you know what? You just listed some three nice things. What I want people to think about it because gratitude is important because it's going to make you feel rewarded for where you are at the moment. Think of something you're grateful for today by imagining it not being there. Mm. Step into the feeling of the loss of it. Like people yeah. that hate their homes or they'll say that in their mind. I hate my home. I hate my home. And then all of a sudden, well, wow, if I didn't have this home, I wouldn't have my community. I wouldn't be close to my work, whatever the case is. So I actually am grateful it's not ideal. It might not be exactly what I want, but start to think about if those things weren't there, you'll connect to gratitude in a different way. So those are the three things I would say. And those are all things that everybody can do. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with external anything. That's all within our own power. And that is where we start. This whole idea of instant gratification and reaching goals in three weeks and you know, really gets in the way of making these small changes, changing our lives, creating our lives so that we are living whatever our authentic life is starting today. It's yeah. not about grandiosity. It's about those small changes. Well, Rob, I don't even know if thank you is the right word for the opportunity to sit and talk with you today. I really sincerely hope that we get to continue this conversation. I don't know, for maybe ever. I am going to hold you to that because I think you're phenomenal. Oh, Absolutely phenomenal. And for the people listening, I mean, Gretchen and I met over LinkedIn. We sent a couple of messages back and forth, but it was the authenticity of the messaging. And that's something that I think if I want to leave somebody any sort of sense of an idea of success or whatever the case is, you're here we're all here to be authentic, to shine the light that we are. Now, that sounds very woo-woo. I know the whole light thing, but there's a reason for it because I like to play around with metaphors and all kinds of other things. Shine your light. If the people around you need sunglasses, they're not the right people for you. It's a filtering mechanism for you. 
And you will be able to show up more authentically because you'll attract the people that are right for you. And that's how Gretchen and I met. And I can tell you right now, we are going to be speaking for a very, very, very long time. Yeah, I've noticed that as I have opened up my world, that I am attracting people who are making my life a better place to be. And that too is within our control. That has been one of the greatest gifts because the people I have met since I really started this purposeful journey are all contributing to helping from a very selfish standpoint, make my life a better place to be. And we are doing that, I hope, for each other because we need a lot more kindness and light. So thank you again. Remember that you can find all of Rob's information at www.robertparty.com. Plus, we'll have all of his information and books, et cetera, on my website, www.gretchenholmesphd.com. I encourage everyone to pick up his book, Chasing Life. I can't tell you, it was such a powerful book about love and living in the moment. I think everybody should read it. So there's my plug for you. (laughs) Thank you very much. A quick reminder that this podcast will be available on my website, GretchenHolmesPhD.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. On my website, you'll find valuable resources and information along with previous podcasts. Feel free to drop me a line if you'd like. I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, tell your story, you can do that there too. Finally, from me to you. Remember to love and celebrate yourself now, today. Don't wait until you feel worthy. You already are. Loving yourself is the only way to good health. Until next time. The information on this podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. (music) 